0: praise the lord praise the lord give the lord a shout this morning praise the lord praise the lord yep all right hey as you're seated reach out to your neighbor and said i'm glad you're my neighbor i'm glad you're my neighbor won't you be my neighbor If you're visiting, my name's Scott, and I believe this morning uh, we're all on a journey. We've got graduates that are getting ready to go on a journey. I see Owen in the back. Where are the other graduates in here? Getting ready to go on a journey. And sometimes when you're a journey with face, it happens. And the question I'm going to answer this morning is this How do we survive and even thrive? How do we survive and even thrive during? A crisis. How do you survive and even thrive during a crisis? Now, as a 40 something, uh, I tell you a crisis in my home is after I've had a square of healthy, high cocoa, dark chocolate. And I look down at the caloric intake of that and I realize that was good. But if you want to burn that off, that's a mile. Go run it. <laughs> or it's almonds, very healthy. Almonds are so healthy. About six or seven of them a day is really what you can manage without having to go work out more than you want it. Those really aren't crises. Well, here's a crisis. You're out of creamer in the home. Somebody needs to go to Rayleigh's. That's a crisis. <laughs> the truth is some of us are going through seasons that are, have crises tagged all over them. Challenging seasons. Challenging, just challenging seasons with work. Challenging seasons with our health. Challenging seasons in our marriage and family life, how do you not just survive, how do you thrive through them? I think there's a way. I hope today God's Spirit just, just infuses oxygen into your lungs, oxygen of confidence, oxygen of hope, oxygen that will help you Look up, rather than look down, run to God, rather than run from Him, and stand firm instead of giving in to temptation, resentment, bitterness. And I tell you, what, what I believe about crises is, uh, it's, a, it's a song I want to sing for you this morning. What doesn't kill you will make you What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Stand a doesn't mean I'm when Okay, that's what I believe. If it doesn't kill you, it's going to make you stronger. How many of you believe that? Right. Yeah. I just wanted it once. Okay. That's funny. That's really funny. Okay. I can't. That's it. I'm out of oxygen, Dan. Hey, how about a thanks for our AV team? They make stuff like that happen. They do. Just love them. Deeply love them. They help me a ton. They deliver for our whole congregation. So, oh my word, I wasn't prepared for that kind of cardio workout. What I want to do is take you to where we've been in the book of Genesis, where Genesis, surprise, is about families. And this morning, you're going to see family life, maybe like you never have, dysfunctional family life like you never have. And I hope that uh, as a result, you're going to see that Crises either destroy us or they develop us. Really, I hope you see that crises are opportunity for development. Moreover, I hope you see that in all things, God is preparing us for promotion. For real. God is preparing us for promotion. He's preparing us for tough situations. Through tough situations, he's preparing us to promote us. And that doesn't necessarily mean the org chart, it can mean the heart chart, it can mean your own spiritual vitality, but I think you'll see that today. All right, let's jump in. I want to show you in uh, Genesis, another thank you to our audiovisual team, I'm so grateful for them, for real, these guys make this happen. Uh, what What I want to begin with today is just a look at Joseph's bio, and if you can't see it on this screen, it's up on the top ones. Seven episodes I want to glance at this morning. The first is Joseph in the pit, then Joseph in Potiphar's house, then in chapter 39, Joseph in the prison, Joseph in the palace, then here come the brothers, episode one, here come the brothers, episode two, and then finally, in chapter 45, Joseph says, hey, I'm alive. I'm Joseph. Where's my dad? After 13 years of separation, he's Well, uh, in... Chapter 37, that's where I want to start. I'm going to do a cursory walk through Genesis. If, you want to, if you're down doing this with me, open your Bible or your smartphone to Genesis 37. I'm just going to read verses. I may lean on you to help me read them, and then I'm going to make a comment. We're going to hopefully just kind of skip through Genesis 37 through 45, and then we're going to really apply what we see in Joseph's life. Beginning in chapter 37, Joseph was a what man? He was a... Anyone see it? Am I the only one that has... What is it? Young. young. Uh, yes, yes. Joseph was a young man, age 17. How old are you, Owen? 18. So Joseph was just a schmidge younger than, uh, than Owen. He was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilphah, his father's wives, And he brought their father a bad report about them. He was a narc. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. He made an ornate robe of technicolor for him. Now, some of you may think, hey, I've got my family life is very dysfunctional. (laughs) A. Welcome to Thanksgiving at Jacob's house. Check this out. If you, uh, if you can see it up top, this is Jacob's family. Jacob is, the, uh, is one of the uh, grandsons of Abraham, third generation. And Jacob fell in love with Rachel. She was the real looker, okay? And uh, his, Rachel's dad switched Rachel at the, on the honeymoon, and uh, Jacob ended up getting Leah first. So the family didn't start off like Jacob had imagined. So he ended up marrying Leah and Rachel, both. Is that maybe a topic we could talk about at another Sunday gathering? (laughs) He married them both, and Rachel started having children off the bat. She had three, four, five, and six kids. Excuse me, Leah started having three, four, five, and six kids. Rachel wasn't having any. So she outsourced to Bilhah, and uh, I guess Jacob was okay with that. And then Leah, felt, feeling like she might be getting behind, outsourced to Zilpah. And so you've got 10 sons or so in Jacob's family. You've got two wives, Leah and Rachel, and their servants, Bilhah and Zilpah, all at Thanksgiving together, just thanking their God for such a pleasant family that he's given them. And this Joseph, you have to understand, he was the favored one. He was the one that drove the Audi, had the iPhone 7, life is good for him. Because check it out, he not only had the best looking mom, uh, he was the only son she had. And so Jacob had a unique relationship with Joseph because the wife that was his first choice, her only son was Joseph. Life was good. But Joseph felt this need to kind of drive the point home. He gives to all his brothers, and this is what he does. In chapter 37, God gives Joseph some dreams for his life. And he makes, here's what he does. In verse 6, he said to them, Hey, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and it stood upright. While your sheaves gathered around mine, and they, they bowed down to it. Hey, when you have a dream like that, about your brothers or sisters bowing down to you, you keep that to yourself. Not Joseph. He didn't have the relational intelligence, the, the EQ to do that. So he continues, and in verse 9, uh, he says, I had another dream. And he told his brothers, listen, and he told it to his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And that's it. The brothers are like, hey, we are done with you. And so they begin to plot to actually sell Joseph. They were actually going to kill him, but they ended up leaving him in a pit where he is going to stay until a nomadic Ishmaelite group drops by, snags him, and goes and sells him down in Egypt. Let's just pause there. Your life starts out, you have high confidence, high vision, high dream, and all of a sudden, within a matter of minutes, you're in a pit, literally. Let Let me just show you this graphic that I think kind of illustrates Joseph's life he's got great uh, personal identity. (laughs) I'm the favored son. (laughs) By the way, how do you know you're the favorite child? It's because you have to ask. You're the favorite child. Uh, He's the favorite kid. He ends up being left for dead in a pit. His brothers actually deceive their dad and convince their dad that His youngest son is dead. Can you imagine how devastating that was on the marriage of Jacob and Rachel, knowing that uh, his other sons did not care for her only son? Oh, really? Anyways, he's in this pit, and that pit would be the metaphor for his life for 13 years. He didn't get to go to ARC or... Uh, a university. His, His education was underground in a prison cell for 13 years. And he was there not because of any moral or personal failure of his own, being a little overconfident and cocky, yes, but he was there by God's plan. Who is this God that would allow us to experience difficulty? Who is this? I'll tell you, if you're a Christ follower, it's your God. Our God is in a constant state of preparing us for promotion. That's what Genesis is all about. Let's continue to look at some episodes in Joseph's life. So he gets sold, uh, left for dead by his brothers, and sold to some Ishmaelites who leave him for sale with Potiphar, the captain of the guard in Genesis. This is like uh, Genesis Uh, 38 i believe and he's joseph is in potiphar's house in chapter 39 and you think that joseph just lived happily ever after look at this the lord was with joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his egyptian master well the lord was with him So wouldn't you assume that everything just was perfect, that Joseph got along with Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, and that uh, everything just continued to go fantastic for Joseph? That you can find. That narrative is in the book of Hallucinations, chapter 3, verse 16. That's not life. That's not life according to the narrator, probably Moses, of Genesis. That life is sometimes one pit to the next pit, even in the midst of of being of making morally upright decisions. In fact, for whatever reason, Joseph's narrative takes another turn because while Joseph is uh, is working for Potiphar, uh, perhaps he's vacuuming uh, in the family room, and Potiphar's wife is watching the shopping channel. Uh, Joseph is evidently very attractive by the way he uh, works, the Kirby. And she goes after him, and she grabs him by the cloak, and she says, hey, come to bed with me. And Joseph's like, ah, we don't do that. And he tries to take off, which every woman and every man should do. If you're in a situation you know you shouldn't be in, run. That's the Bible message, run. And if you're not a runner, uh, figure it out and start running. Joseph tries to run. She gets a piece of his cloak when her husband comes home from work. She says, honey, look what your servant did. He tried to accost me. He tried to take advantage of me while you were gone. And I have his cloak to prove it. What kind of God would allow us to suffer when we make the right decision? Our God. How come? Because our God is in a constant, is in constant preparation. He's always preparing us to promote us. And so he ends up going to prison. <laughs> You'd think maybe for six months and he'd get a reduced sentence, right? Because God's with him, right? Hallucinations, chapter 3, verse 16. It's not that way. He goes to Potiphar's house, he goes to prison, and he's there for 13 years. 13 years. Why would our God deliver this story in Genesis that occupies... Genesis has 50 chapters. This story occupies chapters 37 to 50, minus a couple in the middle. What is God trying to say to us? Our God is always in the business of preparing us for promotion. And so Joseph goes to prison... And what we read about him in prison in chapter 39 is this. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and favor in the eyes of the prison warden. You know what this tells us about difficulty and suffering and loneliness? Even in the worst of times, Joseph had the best of friends. God was the best friend Joseph would ever have. God was the steward of the dream he'd given Joseph. Even in the worst of times, Joseph had the best of friends. And he had a relationship with the prison warden that was positive. But he had the best of friends with God. Let me just ask, can you say personally, God alone is enough? Like the psalmist, Asaph, in Psalm 73, who says, The earth has nothing I desire. The nearness of God is my good. Besides thee, I desire nothing. Is God that kind of friend to you? Joseph is in this pit of preparation, but everything changes. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. I'm not saying that to be trite. It's Genesis 41:16. Love this verse. He's been in prison for... 11 years, and he's done, he's exercised his gifts. He has not just a gift of leadership, um, but he has mercy. There's mercy in this guy. He shows mercy to a cupbearer and a baker who are actually incarcerated because of their poor performance in front of Pharaoh. They both have dreams. Um, Joseph interprets their dreams, and he does so accurately. And on their way out of prison, the cupbearer who tested Pharaoh's wine uh, is, is snagged by Joseph. And Joseph just says, hey, will you remember me? <laughs> and the cupbearer's like, oh, yeah, I got you. I got you. I got your back. Yeah, two years pass. There's no memory. Until Pharaoh has a dream that he himself can't interpret and no one on his courts can interpret it. And all of a sudden, that that cupbearer's synaptical started working again. And he said, there's this guy in prison. He's good. Seriously, he's good. Maybe the guy's job was on the line. He's got a gift. See, Joseph, when he couldn't control the trajectory of his life, while he enjoyed the presence of God, he still exercised his gifts of mercy and compassion, dream interpretation, food distribution, Honor and loyalty with the prison guard, with the warden of the prison. And Joseph's brought up before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, I had a dream, no one could interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear it, you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. That's why you're here before me. And Joseph's got his get-out-of-jail-free card. He's like, wow, you would think. But look at his answer. I cannot do it. (sighs) Really? You can't do it. I don't think those are the opening words you give at an interview before Pharaoh. Unless something's happened here that was put in Genesis for all of us to take inventory of. Our God at all times is preparing us for promotion. And Joseph's words, I cannot do it, are indicative that he was ready. Kind of like we ended in 2 Timothy last February, the final words of Paul, grace be with you. Strength be with you. That's not your own. Joseph had given had been given a spirit of Of fear, but it was of of confidence, but it was based in humility. I cannot do it. And then here's the most important phrase transitional word I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God. But God. But God. You have to understand the Egyptians thought Pharaoh was God. (laughs) Joseph is willing to stand before Pharaoh and say, There's one higher than you, Mr. Pharaoh. He will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Are any of you in a season that's a but God season? Uh, There's no way this is going to come out right. I can't do this, but God can. This health challenge we have, it's overwhelming. We can't do it, but God can. Our marriage right now, it does not look good this summer. We can't do it, but God. My job right now, just met with someone very perilous situation. Can't do it but God. How do we survive and even thrive through crises? Joseph was able to. Pharaoh honored him. Pharaoh said, uh, he interp- Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, not just accurately, he actually made a recommendation on uh, how to preserve Egypt, which would result in preserving the Egyptian Middle Uh, BC. And Joseph uh, then becomes the number two guy in Egypt. Many of you have heard the story, and God continues to work in Joseph's story. Now he's going to bring, God's going to bring Joseph's brothers. Genesis 42, verse 24, Joseph sees his brothers, and it's overwhelming to him. He turned away from them and began to weep. But when he came back and spoke to them again, he had Simon taken from them and bound before their eyes. He began to weep. Do you have a sibling, a friend, that when you see him, it chokes you up? You're so happy to see him. Do do you have someone that, or are you thinking, no, I don't have anyone (laughs) like that? (laughs) Joseph is experiencing reconciliation, 13 years of separation. And it continues in uh, chapter 43. uh, His brothers go down, and they bring up the one brother he's never met, his mother, who's no longer living, Rachel. She died outside of Bethlehem, but her son, Benjamin, the brother he's never seen, is living. And when he sees his brother Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. Is it okay for guys to weep once in a while? It is. It's good for us. It's hard to. But when we get the opportunity, boy, just seize it. Even if you're just laughing your head off. Uh, Seize it. It's good for us. Joseph gets reconciled with his brothers. But he hasn't even told them who he is yet. Chapter forty. Finally, the narrator says, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence? So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Whew, 13 years of emotion, right? <laughs> everyone can hear it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. First question he has, is my dad still living? Yeah, that's Effie. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence, scared to death. Okay, so now the application piece. We're going to transition. How do you survive and thrive during times of crises? Let's just review what Joseph experienced, because it might be what you've experienced. He suffered mistreatment by his own family. He suffered unfair treatment by an employer. He was misunderstood by doing the right thing. And he was completely forgotten by his friends. All of these were by God's will. Our God allows this to happen in our lives. Because our God is constantly in a state of preparing us for promotion. Crises are either going to develop us or destroy us. James writes, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. During times of crisis, we're either going to run to God or we're going to run from Him. Never let the hard times rob the dream. Joseph's language at the end of Genesis is the theme of Genesis. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, without Joseph in Egypt, the whole Middle East wouldn't be saved through this famine. That's how God chose to work. Without brothers who would grow jealous and harm him, there would be no one to save Egypt. When you go through a crisis, do you run to God or from Him? Lord willing, some of you are going to get to go on vacation here soon. Are you going to take a vacation from the presence of God, or are you going to take a vacation that draws you closer to the presence of God? See, Joseph, he took the higher ground because he had a higher vision of what was going on. How do you handle difficulty and crises? Huh. You run to God. You run to Him first. Secondly, you, you look up. You don't look down. My neighbor is a, I think he's a tactical Sierra backpack trainer. He teaches at Sierra College. And he let me, he borrowed, he, he borrowed this. He let me borrow this yesterday. And I asked him about the, tell me about looking up and looking down how important is it when you've got a heavy load on to keep your eyes up? He said, oh, it's critical. The people that look down all the time are the people that get lost. They get lost. I said, what do you mean? He said, they get lost. <laughs> like, oh. He says, if you look up, you're, even in the midst of your fatigue or your dehydration, uh, you're going to be able to see better. But if you're looking down, if you're lacking hope, if you're, if you're overly analyzing, if you're focused on the worst case scenario all the time and you're running that through your head and it's giving you anxiety, sleeping and you're getting grouchy, oh, you're, you're going to be vulnerable. And so you got to look up. At Walter Reed Memorial, a double amputee, Veteran was visited by a chaplain recently, and the chaplain said, hey, sir, can I pray for you? And the veteran with double amputation on his legs said, sure, chaplain, but when you're done, can I pray for you? And the chaplain said, sure. After the chaplain prayed, the veteran prayed for the chaplain, and the chaplain just felt God's spirit go over him, and he said, tell me, what have you learned through all this? And this W. amputee at Walter Reed Memorial Hospital said, I've learned, chaplain. If I can look up, I can get up. How do you look up personally? I know it sounds trite. You hear it around all the time. You take a few minutes every day to be with the Lord. Really, you pause. You take a few minutes... uh, you seize opportunities to be with people who lift you up and don't keep you down. Any opportunity you get, you take it. We have an agreement in our home, my wife and I. We get an invite to go be with someone that lifts us up. We're in. And, and if they push us down, we're still in. But <laughs> we want to be around people that lift us up. Don't you? We all need it. I've seized opportunities personally to be around people that raise, the, raise my spirits. It's critical. Lift up. Look up, because when you're looking up, you're, you're going to see God work. And this is what Joseph did. He practiced the but God. Do you have a crisis you're facing now that really necessitates the wordsmithing of Joseph? What he said to Pharaoh, I can't do this. How many of you are facing a crisis right now? You're like, I can't do this. It's way more than me. It's bigger. Who's bigger than me? Just the five of us. Let's meet afterwards. A little (laughs) therapy right there. Hey, if you feel like you can't do it, according to the first book in the Bible, you're exactly where God wants you. Because God is in the business of preparing us for promotion. And the biggest indicator of Joseph's maturity and preparation were his words, I can't do this. Perfect. Because if you think you can... We got another problem. Those are back with the Audi days and the iPhone 7 days when he's telling his brothers, hey, brothers, nothing personal. You will bow towards me someday. That doesn't work, right? Lastly, <clears throat> we got we to run to God, not run from Him. We got to look up, not look down. Lastly, we got to stand firm. Stand firm, not give in. Stand firm, not give in. My freshman year, I met a guy on my dorm floor named Rusty Logston from Oklahoma. Rusty was great athlete, neat kid, really neat guy. And his freshman year, he started playing football. And the first year of his freshman year, he went to the first week of his freshman year. He went to school with those good old. Parachute pants. How many of you used to have a pair pair of parachute pants in the 80s? Big old baggy pants with those pockets. And he went to class with those, and some of the varsity football players saw him, and maybe they had seen how fast he was, or they were jealous, whatever. They went up to him while he was in the mall cafeteria of his Oklahoma high school, and they pulled his parachute pants down to his ankles. Yeah. And he just stood there. Now, interestingly, Rusty says that was the day of the week where he chose to wear his tiger underwear, <laughs> his tiger bikini underwear. And so he's sitting there in his tiger underwear, <laughs> and he just stands there. He didn't move. And folks start to gather around, and an administrator comes up and says, son, pull your pants up. He said, Sir. I didn't pull him down, and I'd be doggone if I'm going to pull him up. (laughs) He just stood there. And the administrator said, who pulled him down? He said, those varsity football players. And that administrator walked over to those players, and he said, go pull his pants up. (laughs) And let me tell you, that's the best week of Rusty's life. (laughs) He said he got beat up on the football field quite a bit after school. Here's here's my point. Sometimes you just need to stand in moral integrity. Standing in moral integrity is progress. If you're not getting any work done, how many of you have a to-do list? Truthfully, it ain't ever going to get done. It's not. It's way too much. Let me tell you. Moral integrity is the most important thing to get done. Doing what's right. Telling the truth is the most important thing you'll ever get done. Being honest. Keeping this right. That's what it means to stand. You just need to know sometimes, some days, you might not get anything done right except keeping this right. And that's standing firm. When you stand firm, you you don't give in to temptation. You believe what Paul wrote about temptation, that no temptation is, all temptation is common to man, and in every temptation, God will give us a door of escape to get out. You need to stand firm when you're discouraged. You You need to take captive every thought, like Mrs. Matthew said last week, take thought every captive and Make it obedience, obedient to the mind of Christ. And finally, you need to stand firm and don't give in to revenge and resentment. Let God handle that. You don't want to get into that. So the question I have for you today as we close is this. Do you believe that in all things God is preparing you to promote you? How many of you would say today, you know what, today, you know what I need to do? I need to run to God instead of running from Him. Anybody here would say, that's me. <laughs> How many of you would say, on this upcoming vacation I have, I need to vacation towards the presence of God, not from the presence of God? Anybody? <laughs> How many of you here today would say, instead of looking down, I need to look up because I'm getting lost? Anybody? Anybody? How many of you would say, you know what, sometimes I put so much focus on getting all my stuff done, I need to remember that the most important, I just need to do what's right. And I wonder if there's someone here that needed to believe that in all things, God is working to prepare you for promotion. It may not be on an org chart. It's not your fame. It's not necessarily your pocketbook, although it can be that kind of stuff. But it's all preparation. Okay, a couple extra anecdotes that I didn't share first service. Bryce Jessup, son of William Jessup. Bryce uh, is in his mid 80s. I've gotten to spend some time with him uh, in the last couple years. I was with him this month, and he shared with me that that uh, his most productive years in his life were age 65 to 75. Okay, so if some of you are like, hey, I'm done, I'm, Joseph is 17, I can't relate. Hey, let me point you to Bryce. Bryce was the president of what was San Jose Bible College in San Jose. They had 80 students attending. And he went to his team, he had kind of a dream team there, and he said, hey guys, I'm done, I can't do this. And they said, Bryce, look up. You're going to do this. And uh, Bryce has admitted that sometimes his own, God has, God has used his own ad- adequacy to fulfill his purpose in his life. And uh, he had looked for a campus for what was San Jose Bible College for 13 years. No, 15 years. He, he had actually wasted a million dollars on one offer, lost a million. <laughs> And his team said, Bryce, you're the guy to do this. Fast forward 15 years. The, the gross net worth of what is now William Jessup University is $100 million. They have 1,400 students attending. Bryce is in his mid-80s. And he's still on the payroll, only by their request. God is always about preparing us for promotion. That seems lofty and high up. Here's another example. Just, I got permission to share this story with you after first service. One of my brothers who's in the service right now said, hey, my wife lost her job January. It was challenging. He's the finance guy. He did the Excel spreadsheet. How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna make this happen? And uh, he thought, God, if my uh, investments would go up a little bit, it would sure help. Well, they went up enough for him to completely pay off his house. And so that reduced their required income and they believe this was all part of God's plan. She didn't want to work anymore. She wanted to be home. Wow. How many of you would just like to reach out and touch that person for a blessing? (laughs) Okay, Here's the point. God's going to bless us all the way that... He knows will mean the most to us. might be reconciliation with family, might be an opportunity you never imagined. but God's always in the business of preparing us for promotion. And let me tell you the greatest promotion: It's not net worth. Can you bring up that James passage again for me, Greg? The greatest promotion is not net worth. it's not on the org chart. Listen to Jesus brother, James. Greatest promotion. Is when our faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Here's the greatest promotion mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's wealth. When you're just good with God alone, because His presence is with you. You're looking up, you're not looking down. You're running to, you're not running from. You're standing firm. Not giving in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts today. Hey, if you're here today and you just needed to hear that God is about preparing you for promotion, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Raise your hand high if that's you. Heavenly Father, those that have raised their hand today, I just ask that your spirit would just infuse peace and joy and Christ's character into their hearts. And that they will just experience his presence. The company of the living God. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to welcome, to invite, to make yourself accessible to the God of heaven and earth. And you're willing today to open your life to him. I just want to ask you to pray this prayer. Just say, God, today I'm willing to believe in Jesus. That he died a substitutionary death on the cross for my sins and that he rose from the dead. And if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to, just between you and me with every eye closed and head bowed, I just want to acknowledge your decision. Would you raise your hand? If you said yes to Jesus for the first time today, anybody say yes to him, to Christ? Anyone say yes to Christ for the first time today? Raise your hand. Let's celebrate it. Father, thank you for your presence and your preparation in our lives for dreams we never imagined. Amen.